I want to ask you this question just when we begin this morning. I want to ask you this question. How are you doing? I figured you'd answer real quick like that. I didn't want you to answer that quick. Because we do that. How are you doing? So it's easy to just go fine without even thinking about it. Great. But I want you to take a moment as we go through the message today and think, why am I doing great? Some of you might not have said great. You might have said, you know what? I'm not doing great at all. You might be struggling with all the stuff that's going on in the world around us, all the information that comes. Fear might have struck your heart. You might be dealing with some sickness in your body. You might be dealing with something in your family, your kids, going away from God. You might be dealing with something to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, how am I doing? I'm not doing well at all. We can just go, how are you doing? Fine. Not, not examine why we're doing fine. Not really examine why we're having a lot of trouble in our life. But I just want to engage this. I want you to think about it as we go through this and then start to think about, am I doing fine just because the circumstances are comfortable? Or am I doing fine because of what Jesus has done for me in his death, burial, and resurrection? And if I'm doing poorly, why am I doing poorly in, in Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection? Has he done something to take care of what I'm feeling badly about. Because we can get caught up in the circumstance of the day one way or another, and we can immediately say, I'm doing fine today, which we don't really know if we're doing fine. We just answer quickly, and we can say, you know, I'm really doing badly because of a circumstance, but really if we got down into thinking about it, we're not really doing badly because we're alive. And we're redeemed. The spirit of the living God, the one who created all things, has come to live on the inside of us. We have overcoming, resurrection, life, and power on the inside of us. We have the wisdom of God at our disposal, that wisdom that created the universe, set it all into motion. He knows every hair on your head, every hair on my head. He said, I love you so much and I care about you so much that when you were apart from me, I sent Jesus to redeem your life from destruction and the destroyer. So I just ask you again to take this time as we're thinking about these things and maybe go from here and on a daily basis say, how am I doing today and why am I doing good? I'm doing good because I'm rejoicing in the joy of my salvation, what it offers, or I'm not doing very well because I'm having trouble at work, I'm having financial difficulties, I'm having marital difficulties, and then begin to process that difficulty through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Begin to process those difficulties through the wisdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and then begin to answer, like Alan was saying, then begin to answer because your words are powerful, life and death are in the power of the tongue. If we say, I'm doing poorly today, we begin to set up our day based on circumstance. But if we say, you know what, here's the circumstance, and I was feeling a little bit poorly today, but as I begin to reflect on who I am in Christ and what he's done for me, it's not looking as bad as the circumstance was trying to make it look. So let's just think about how you're doing today. How you doing today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We glorify and we magnify you, Lord. We, we just thank you for all that you've done by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Fathers, we're living in a time and a season that is filled with confusion, filled with anger, bitterness, strife. We live in our areas where it seems like everything is foggy and smoky and things are on fire and things are shut down. The hearts are open to allow you to do in us, for us, and through us. That what you plan, that what you desire. We pray for the abundance of rain. As Elijah went back seven times and then he saw cloud the size of a man's hands, we don't stop declaring and commanding rain to come and to fall on our region. That rain in its season, not the downpour that would cause everything to wash away, but a nice steady rain. We put the fires out. It would assist all the fire workers in their endeavors to put this fire out, to lay the smoke down. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this region that there is another rain building, an outpouring of the Spirit of God that will fall upon our region. It will begin to fall as you said, upon the just and upon the unjust alike. We thank you for reigning on western Colorado, an outpouring of your spirit. It will be like nothing we've ever seen before. It will begin to deal with the hearts of men. You begin to draw them from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Questions about who they are, where they've come from, what there is hope in, and we will be able, the church, equipped, strong, being watered and refreshed by the outpouring of the Spirit of God, ready to declare to them that there is a hope in the blood of Jesus and eternal life for those who have been struggling. Pour out your Spirit upon our region. Pour out your Spirit in Washington, D.C. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit, with the hearts of the leaders of our nation. Remove the blinders from their eyes. Expose the deceitfulness of sin and wickedness and lawlessness. Raise in their hearts, God, whatever they may have ideology about different things, but raise in their heart what it was. Why did they want to go? Why did they want to lead this nation? The confusion of the wickedness and the bitterness and the anger and the division is not why many of them set out to go. They set out to do something good. They've been blinded. I pray for the highest level of leaders in our nation that you will awaken them by your presence in the night hours. Just as you have leaders in the past and you have warned them, godly or ungodly, and warned them about the day and the season, wake them up. Give them an encounter with you, God, the almighty God. Shake them from their core that they might rise up and govern in righteousness. that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. We ask you to break down the walls of division amongst the leaders of our nation that have spread to the people of our nation. Break down the walls of division. Even in the church, break down the walls of division that we might truly experience unity that will draw us together in strength and open up doors of revival. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present in this place. I pray that you would open 
our eyes to see more clearly what Jesus has done for us than ever before. That in seeing that, we might embrace that, believe that, that we truly might apply that to our lives and our actions. That every day with you gets better than the day before. That we would know today, if this is the only day, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I ask you to minister to every heart, every life, every body, every soul. God, break down what the enemy has wrought to destroy, to confuse, to confound. Bring clarity, wisdom, understanding, stability. Give us ears to hear what you're saying, eyes to see what you're doing. For behind all that we see in the natural, there is something going on and rising up that is supernatural. Give us eyes to see. Thank you for healing bodies. Ask you for utterance to speak as we ought to speak. Holy Spirit, just hover in this place. You know where everyone is. Do what only you can do to equip us to change us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, that you might lead and guide us through every day in the truth. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning. I want to welcome everybody who's joining us by live stream, our Meeker campus, all of you here. It's great to be with you. You are, whether you feel like it or not, you are the greatest people in all of the earth. Men might not look at that, but God's looking down and saying, that's my family, that's the church. And God has great plans. As we navigate through every single day, we want to remember that we are not merely sons of men. We're moving amongst the sons of men, but we are sons and daughters of God. There's a big difference as we begin to think in our mind, well, I'm just like an ordinary person. I was born this same way. Uh, I'm just like everyone else. But you're not. You're sons and daughters of God. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. We're not just the sons of men, but we are the sons and the daughters of God. And if we are, we're heirs of God and we're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That everything that heaven has to offer is at our disposal. We lack in no good thing. You may look at your checkbook and say, I'm lacking something for the bills to come. You may look down on the emotions and say, I just can't pull it up. But in reality, that you are sons and daughters of God, all that heaven has to offer, you lack in no good thing. It's the world and the voices of the enemy that try to tell you that you're lacking, you're falling short, things won't turn out. But in all reality, we lack in no good thing. We have an opportunity today to worship God. We have an opportunity today to adjust our thoughts and our mindsets. We have an opportunity to take advantage of today and look at people who are around us today, look at our situation today, and make necessary adjustments and not put it off till tomorrow. Tomorrow might not come. I know this, if you've been around church for any length of years, this may sound redundant or cliche-ish, but we need to begin to think, what if Jesus comes tomorrow? And if you would act different, if Jesus was coming tonight or tomorrow, if you'd be in church tonight, if Jesus was coming tonight, if you'd be in church today, if he was coming tomorrow, then we need to think, well, then why aren't we here? Because he's coming back soon. And we do respond differently. I remember when we first started pastoring and Sunday night crowd wasn't very big and 
So I just, I was making a similar point to this, and I said, so uh, many of you may not know uh, Pastor Buddy Harrison, but he was around, he's since gone to be with the Lord. I said, well, if we announced that Pastor Buddy Harrison was going to be here next Sunday night, we'd see if more people were here. Well, people just weren't even listening. They thought I said Pastor Buddy Harrison was going to be here. That Sunday night, we had about double the crowd. <laughs> and of course, when they showed up, it was they were disappointed because it was me, it wasn't Buddy Harrison. And so we prepare, we do things differently based on what we're thinking, but we think, well, you know what, tomorrow I'll do that. Tomorrow I'll be, be, begin to believe God for that. You know what, when sickness hits my home or my body, then I'll really pray and I'll believe God, but today is the day. And so we formulated this series of messages to bring us back because we can look back and say, you know what, when are we going to get back to normal? We're not going back to normal. Well, someday, maybe it'll change. We, we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. We don't know. And if you sit and worry about what the elections are going to do, what coronavirus is going to do, and you wait to see, you'll be robbed of experiences that God wants to use you in. You'll be robbed of things that God wants to show you, the anointing that God wants you to operate in. You'll be robbed waiting to see what everyone else does. But we, the church, can get on the cutting edge and begin to change things in our world, in our sphere of influence. What are you doing today about the people that you work with that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Are you debating with them the politics? Are you looking at them, feeling sorry for them? Or are you praying for them? Are you planting seed in their heart today, knowing that the Word of God is alive and it's quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword? And if I plant it, it will pierce asunder between their soul and their spirit and will allow God to work and release the power of salvation through the word that we plant in their heart? Or are we going to wait till someday when they're nicer and we feel like they're more hungry? What about right now? Even right now, what attention are you giving? Are you opening up your ears to hear what God is saying? Or are you just filling a space of time to feel like you've gone to church? Are you going to allow the Spirit of God right now to speak to you about things? Are you going to allow the Spirit of God to say, you know what, this thing I've been dealing with you about, now is the time to change it. The way you're talking, the way you're thinking, the way you're worried, now is the time. Today is the day to begin to work on that and not wait till tomorrow. First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter 6 has been our foundational text where really Paul explains, I'll just paraphrase, we've been there, that we don't want to live in this grace of God in vain. There is an accepted time. There is a day of salvation. And he said, now, everybody say now, yeah. now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Right now, right now, right now is the day of salvation, healing, deliverance, freedom, wholeness, prosperity. Right now is the time where salvation, God wants to expose it, release it, give you vision to it. How can you be free from the things that have bound you? Today is the day of freedom. We've looked at Isaiah chapter 43. He said, behold, I do a new thing. Right? Behold, I do a new thing, and now it shall bring, spring forth. 
I like that. Shall you not know it? Question mark. Behold, I knew God's going to do a new thing. God's going to do a new thing. He didn't say, I'm going to do a new thing. He said, stop, look, behold, I am doing a new thing. And right now, it'll spring forth. If we pay attention to what God is doing in us and what he wants to do through us, there will begin to bubble up. There will begin to spring forth right now something that God is doing to refresh you, to anoint you, to equip you, to further change and transform your life. Right now, it's bubbling up. Right now, it's springing up. He said, how shall you not know it? And we think about this, well, I don't know it because... I just really haven't seemed to hear from God for a long time. He said, listen, I will make roads in your wilderness. Well, you know what? I just haven't felt so anointed or excited as I used to. He said, I'll make rivers in your desert. But you got to look at it right now. And you got to say, God, I'm open to the new thing. I'm open to you changing my life. I'm open to walking through my desert to the promise I'm open to standing in, in the river like Ezekiel and getting waist deep, ankle deep, waist deep, knee deep till I'm swimming in the anointing of God. It's refreshing me. It's empowering me. It's preparing me. He says, I'm going to do it now. Everybody say now. now. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. New King James says it like this, and now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. He said, and now abide. Not someday when we get around to it, but right now. He's talked about all these magnificent things, right? He's just talked about the, the manifestations of the Spirit, the members of the body of Christ. He's talked about how we work together in the power of God. And he says, but now abide. We say, boy, I hope I operate in that gift. I hope I understand that gift. Someday I'll flow in that. He said, but now, but now abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. The Message Bible says it like this, but for right now. Everybody say now. now. Until that completeness, we have three things to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. Everybody say extravagantly. Love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. We've talked about this a number of times just to quickly go over that love. That love is so important to us. God tells us in Matthew chapter five, uh, 5, starting verse 43, he said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. We know he tells us to love the lost. Extravagant means just over and above. It means outpouring. He says, I want you to have an extravagant love in this, that you don't just love those who love you. I want you to love the lost. I want you to love your enemies. And then listen to this. In 1 John chapter 3, and verse 14, it says, we know that we have passed from death to life. How do you know you've passed from death to life? Most of us would say, I know that I passed from death to life because I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. But see, John is saying when you prayed that prayer, Jesus came to live on the inside of you by the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit brought the life and the nature of God with him and shed abroad in your heart and in my heart the love of God. He said the way that we know after we prayed that prayer is there's something almost overwhelming in us to love the brethren. We have to ask ourselves that question today. As we look at how are we doing today? Do we love the brethren? How are we holding offense? How are we even reasoning in our mind the ability to hold resentment and offense against someone? Because of what they've done to me, they have to pay. We said this last week, Jesus paid. Jesus paid that price. Come on, today's the day to lay it down. Today's the day to lay it down. Well, I can't. You don't know what's been done to me. I'm just telling you. As hard as it is when you say, I can't today. My life isn't very good today. I'm struggling today. Part of that, if you have an offense or bitterness or resentment, is because the enemy is working through your life, through something that is past, a hurt that is past. And if you can allow the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to break that hold and go ahead and forgive them and let them go and wash them. And no, you know what? They're the brethren. They're, they're people that I know. They're people that I release unto God. There will be an opening of fresh oil. God will start to do that new thing, and it will begin to open up roads, and it will begin to cause rivers to flow. I just encourage you. We make all kinds of reasons to hold stuff, and it's costing us in the day that we live in don't say, someday when I get over it, I'll forgive them. Today is the day to release them. Today is the day to lay aside the sin and the weight which so easily ensnares you. Come on, church. It's a defining force. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples because of your love one for another. Not being normal, not carrying animosity because of things that have happened to you, but there's something supernatural that's teeming on the inside of you to say, you know what, some tragic things have happened, some hurtful things have happened, people have said wrong things, done wrong things, hurt me physically, but I'm just telling you, I'm going to the cross, I'm embracing the death, burial, and resurrection, and I'm letting go of that and allowing God to lead me into a brand new focus of my life. I'm going to look to the love of God on the inside because it is the love of God that sent Jesus Christ to the cross. He could have said, I'm not going for them. Look at what they've done to us, God. Jesus could have said, are you kidding me? Look what they've done. They've mocked me. They've spit on me. They've laid me over a whipping post and they've beat me. They haven't believed me. They persecuted me. Are you kidding, God? Maybe I'll go to the cross next month. Thank God, when it came to the cross, he went to the cross no matter what had done, and he forgave us. And he paid the price for your life, and he paid the price for every single person's life. Now is a time to experience and begin to operate in the love of God that is extravagant like we've never walked in before. Hope, we talked about hope last week, and Hope is such a powerful force. Paul said this, it is the mystery that's been hidden from the ages that he was given to really preach to us that is Christ in you. Everybody say, Christ in me. Christ in me. 
See, Christ being in you is your hope, your expectation, your confident, favorable expectation of walking and experiencing the splendor and the glory and the brightness and the majesty of who God is and what he created you to be. The only hope of rising above this natural, carnal, fleshly world is Christ in us. He said, it's your hope. The Passion Translation says it like this in Hebrews 6, 18. It says, so it is impossible for God to lie. For we know that his promise and his vow will never change. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time. An unshakable hope. Come on, the enemy's just trying to shake your hope. God says, I have an unshakable hope, something that is sure, something that is true, something that is more real than anything you're resting your hope upon. It is that blood that is sprinkled upon the mercy seat. He says, we have this certain hope, like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the realm beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. He is now and forever our royal priest, like Melchizedek. That veil was rent from top to bottom. Jesus went in behind the veil. He sprinkled his blood upon the mercy seat. And that day when we approach him, mercy triumphs over judgment. And we have a hope of eternal salvation because of that blood. And no matter what happens around us, our expectation of becoming like him rests upon us and is an anchor to our soul. When all the bad news comes, when nothing turns out right, we go back and say, listen, I'm only so far off because I'm anchored. We just sang that song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If your hope is on another person, if your hope is on a career, if your hope is on athletic strength, then it will fail you every time. But if your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he'll be with you wherever you go. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can count on him. And when your hope is in that, there is an active hope. We talked about that, that hope is active. It's not passive. It's courageous. It's productive when lived right now. And it reaches its highest potential in joyful gratitude. Hope is a powerful force. I want to talk to you just a little bit about faith. Now abides faith. Faith. <laughs> It's an extraordinary thing. We all say, well, I have faith. I have faith. Don't tell me I don't have faith. But you know, Jesus always was examining and talking to his disciples about their faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, now, everybody say now. Yeah. Now faith is. Now faith is. See, sometimes we think, well, I'll have faith. And we're running behind on our faith because we haven't been speaking today. We haven't been confessing today what God said about us. And so all of a sudden when sickness hits our body, we're endeavoring to find all the scriptures and thank God for it. God's merciful and he's gracious. But why not today begin to confess what Jesus did for healing your body and you walking in divine health? Why not confess who you are today? 
because of the blood of Jesus and who you are in Christ today. Not when you need it, not when you feel down, not when you need an uplift, even if you're feeling great. Confess who you are in Christ and what he's done for you. Begin to build our faith. Most of you that have gone to Bible school know this. Clarence Jordan's translation says, faith is turning dreams into deeds. It's betting your life on unseen realities. What faith really is in, a, in the context of de definition, this Greek word pistis, it means this. Number one, faith means a persuasion, which means an influencing belief. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principality, nor things present or things to come, famine, peril, nakedness or sword, nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I am persuaded. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which is committed unto me. Faith is a persuasion. Can you say today, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Can you say, I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded? The antonym of persuasion is this, discouragement. Discouragement. Faith is a conviction of the truthfulness of God in his word. It is a credence. That word credence means trust or acceptance. The antonym of that is distrust or faithlessness. I want you to listen to this because we're going to just break into this this morning. I'm trying to tell you what faith is and what faith is not. Many times we say, I'm in faith, but we're discouraged. Well, no, you're not persuaded because the opposite of persuasion is discouragement. And when you say, I'm so discouraged, you're not in faith. And dealing with the reality of discouragement is, I'm not trying to tell you to deny it. I'm telling you that when you realize I'm being discouraged, it's time to go back to the one who raised you out of that destructive, controlling aspect emotionally of discouragement that he might bring you to a place of great trust, a great place of persuasion of who you are and what you have, and that nothing can take that away from you and nothing can separate you. So you don't have to be discouraged. That conviction means belief, means the act of convincing or the state of being convinced. A firm belief. I'm convinced, I'm convicted, convinced that Jesus has done what he said he was going to do. I'm convinced that this word is true every single time. When the wisdom applies it to the right situation, it is always true. Faith is an assurance, it's a confidence. The antonym to that is confusion, distrust, doubt, fear, hesitancy, misgivings, shyness, uncertainty, and worry. Now, I'm sure none of those have ever entered into your faith life. Sometimes we say we're in faith, but we're worried. We're in faith, but we're confused. We're in faith, but we're not trusting anyone or anything. But we say we're in faith. But saying we're in faith, but totally living in our emotions, working counter to what we're saying, does not allow us to come into the creative power of faith. Now abide faith, hope, and love. Where is our faith right now? So we begin to identify what faith is and what faith is not. Are we saying that we have faith, but if we really look at it, we're operating in the things that are opposite of what faith is? 
Faith is defined as fidelity, faithfulness in relationship or loyalty. The antonym is disloyalty, enmity, hostility, sedition, or dissension. Have you been loyal to the things that God has spoken into your heart? Or have you set those aside because things aren't turning out the way we thought they were? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's a laying under. It's a sport. It's a foundation. So then faith, if we put it together, faith is a persuasion, a credence. It's trust, acceptance. It's a conviction. It's firm belief. It's assurance. It's confidence. It's fidelity. It's a reliance upon and a faithfulness to. That's what faith is. What faith is not is discouragement. Distrust, faithlessness, confusion, distrust, doubt, fear, hesitancy, misgivings, shyness, uncertainty, worry, lying, disloyalty, enmity, hostility, seditions, and dissensions. Come on, that's a long list of stuff. But in today's world, can anybody say you've watched the news and went, you know what, I'm not sure what I can trust. Has anybody been discouraged by what's going on in the world today? I believe God is giving us a timely message. We can say, no, I'm in faith. But what we talk about, what we engage in every single day has to do with what is going on in the world. Who's doing this? Is this real or is this not real? Is this going to affect us? Is this not going to affect us? Confusion. God's not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace. As I'm saying that, I understand all of that, the, the tendency. I mean, all of us know when you encounter somebody, it's like, what do you think about it? And how do we formulate an answer that's full of faith and not discouragement and not distrust and not disloyalty? How do we formulate something that's tangible that will release faith into somebody else's heart? Not condemnation, not aloofness, not super spirituality, but how do we not fall into that place where we walk away and say, you know what? I've just added to the confusion, the distrust, the disloyalty that's going on in the world today. When we look at it, can we really look and say, you know what, based on this, today, where is my faith? Today, I believe we need to locate our faith. The Bible says now faith is. Now abide faith, hope, and love. Where's your faith right now? Now, I know you're thinking this and say, well, I have faith. Well, where is your faith? Because even as we look at the New Testament, you can't just say, well, faith is faith. That's just, it's just faith is faith. No, there's different levels of faith. There's different areas of growing in faith. It's not just faith is faith. Jesus described that. To locate means to discover the exact place or position. I believe today is the church. We need to find the exact place place and position of our faith. And Jesus was always helping his disciples, knowing that he was going to leave them to difficult times. He was always helping them navigate where their faith was in given moments for the purpose of not putting them down, but saying, how is it that you're in this position? We need to grow you because when I leave, you are going to have to live by great faith. 
Because we're an emotional feeling society, I run the risk of saying, let's locate your faith. And if you locate it and say, wow, I don't have much faith, you just quit. And emotionally, you're like, well, so what's the use? No, that's not the point. Locate our faith. How do we grow our faith? How do we get into that place so that we can say, my faith is strong right now. Today, my faith is strong. And in strong faith today, I create a future and I frame my world for tomorrow. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's by faith that we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. There's things that you need in your life that you don't, aren't visible. They're not tangible right now. But God has provided them, and he says you call them in. You call those things that be not as though they were. Not those things that are as though they're not. Those things that you don't see right now that you know are a promise of God. You agree with God and you say every promise that you've promised me has its yes and its amen in Christ Jesus. And I've been engrafted into Christ. And that promise belongs to me because I'm in you and you're in me. So we see the different levels of faith in Mark chapter 4. I just want to go through this briefly. Mark chapter 4. Y'all know this. Uh, Jesus gets in the boat. He falls asleep. He's in the back of the boat. They're in the middle of the storm. They get all anxious in the storm. I mean, the storm's throwing them around, and finally they wake Jesus up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. He wakes up. He looks at them. He stills the storm. And then he says this, Mark chapter 4. Verse 40, he says, how is it, how is it you have no faith? No faith. So we like to say we have faith, but if you're in the condition right now, I'm just going to help you. If you're in the condition right now that you're crying out to God and saying, if you don't do something, we're all going to die. We're in trouble. Where are you, God? Do something. You're probably at no faith. Why? Because when it comes to he won't even save you from death, you don't have faith because he's already saved your life. The enemy's taken hold and he's tried to destroy your faith and steal it away from you. If you're like, all I do is worry every day, where is God? What's he going to do if he doesn't do something? We're all in trouble. He's already done something. He's waiting for his church to appropriate what he's done and what he desires to do in the earth. We are his hands, his feet, his body to execute what he's already accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. I believe Jesus was saying to those disciples, we've just had some great meetings. You were amen and you were yes and you were like, woohoo, we're with the king. And now a storm kicks up and you can't even speak to it. And in fact, not only are you not speaking to it, you don't think I care. You think I would let you die after I told you we're going to the other side. You can say, they might have said, no, wait a minute, we have faith, we got in the boat, we launched out, you didn't tell us there was going to be a storm. But see, faith doesn't have to know every detail, faith gets in its heart who you are, who he is, and that you trust him. So there's a place where we can come, and it's not like the disciples never had faith, we'll see it. 
says, how is it right now in the middle of this storm you have no faith? That's why when we look at today, we should wake up and we should begin to prime our faith. We should begin to check our faith. You say, Pastor, how will we check our faith? Well, Alan said it. I'm going to get to it. He took my message, half of it. <laughs> Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we get up and we start speaking out of our mouth, we start speaking to our friends. We start speaking to everybody else how hopeless, how confusing, how uh, terrible things are. Then our faith is probably at a low level. But if we get up and we begin to start to declare what God has done, what God is doing, what God will continue to do. And that's the first thing that rolls up out of our heart and out of our mouth. But if we have to look for it and can't find it, it's time to get into the word and begin to build faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is in your heart and it's in your mouth. It's in your heart and in your mouth. Not just in your heart, but in your mouth. We could find ourselves with little faith. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll put on. He said, you don't need to worry about that. Look at the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. Does God not take care of them, feed them, and clothe them? Of how much more value are you, O ye of little faith? So, well, I'm coming to church and stuff, but my, my life is pretty full of worry. I get excited when I get into the word. I get excited when I hear about things. But then when the world comes crashing in, I just, I just don't know. When Peter walked on the water, he got out of the boat. He began to walk on the water, and he began sinking when the storm kicked up. And he, Jesus reached out and pulled him up, and he said, Oh, you have little faith. See, in our culture today, we're like, Jesus pats him on the back. Way to go, Peter. At least you got out of the boat. Way to go, man. Jesus is kind of mean, isn't he? I mean, in American culture today, that just wouldn't fly. Come on, man. You told him he had little faith because he began to sink. At least he got out of the boat, God. Jesus, give him some credit. But Jesus knew that Peter would step out and run into some very difficult situations after he had stepped out. And he was training him to locate his faith so that after Jesus had left and they came to put him in jail and bind him and threaten to kill him, that his faith would not fail him. That he wouldn't look at the storm and the surroundings. He wouldn't look at the chains and the guards and the metal doors. But he would believe God. And in doing that, an angel came and cut him loose and set him free. Amen. Jesus wasn't trying to put him down. Jesus was trying to honestly and accurately locate his faith. And what's confused us is little faith. Wait a minute. Jesus said if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed. But you have to translate what he's saying here is, oh, ye of little faith. He's talking about the term of faith, not the size of faith. So many times we're in meetings or we listen to a podcast or we listen to something, we're like, whoo, whoo, I got that, Lord, I got that, I'm ready, boy, I'm ready. And by Wednesday, trouble kicks up and we're like, whoo. And he would say, oh, ye of little faith, you had it from Sunday to Wednesday, but when trouble kicked in, you lost it. What God wants to grow in us is from Sunday to Sunday is ever-increasing faith. From podcast to podcast 
It's building one on another, our trust in him, our faithfulness to him, our reliance upon him, our conviction that this is true no matter what the circumstance of life we face. This is true, and we'll declare this more than our circumstance. You could have great faith. Matthew chapter 8, the centurion, not even a Jew, came to Jesus. He said, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And he said, you don't have to come and heal him. I understand authority. I understand chain of command. All you have to do is speak the word and my servant will be made whole. Jesus looked at his disciples and the description of the word says he looked at his disciples with jaw dropped. Now listen, if you're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, there's not much that surprises you. But watching this Gentile recite the power of understanding, delegation, and authority that comes from above to the earth, put Jesus in a state of dropping his jaw, looking at his disciples, and said, this is faith. I have not found such great a faith in all of Israel. He said there can be great faith. There can be that faith that says you don't have to be here at this moment. You don't have to be here at this time. That there's no time or space. We can just speak the word of God and things are going to change. I can speak to that situation and the mountain will move. I can speak to that area. I can speak to my children. I don't have to be there doing it myself. The word of God. It says he sent his word and he healed them. It doesn't say that he had to be present. Thank God for presence. But whether we feel presence or we don't, we believe that he has spoken his word. Just speak the word and my servant will be made whole. Matthew chapter 15, verse 28, the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus, once again, sounds like a mean guy. He tells her, he says, listen, she said, I've come to, to, for my daughter's deliverance or healing. He said, well, I, what do I have to do with you, woman? Healing is for the Jews. Why would I give you the children's bread? You're not even a Jew. And she was persistent. She had great faith. She wasn't put off by the words. She wasn't put off by the personality. She was motivated by her love for her daughter. And she said, I know you're the one. And listen, at least the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. So I'm right here. I don't care if you give healing to everybody. I'll wait till crumbs fall from the master's table. Sometimes we don't think if we just don't get the biggest slice that there is, if we don't get what we think we deserve, then we fall out. But he says, great faith says, you know what, I'll hang in it whether it seems like it's the best and the greatest, whether it seems like the children's bread or crumbs. I'll take it and I'll utilize it for something powerful. Where's your faith today? In Romans, the fourth chapter, speaking of Abraham, it says he did not let himself become weak in faith. So you can be weak in faith. Time can go by. Pressures and circumstances can go by, and you can become weak in your faith. You can say, I once had it one day, but so much has happened. But it tells us in the Bible how to strengthen our faith and become strong in faith. He says he was not weak in faith. But he resolved within himself that he who promised was also faithful to perform it. And it says that Abraham, in doing that, believing that the one that promised was able and faithful to perform it, 
he strengthened himself in faith. He was strong in faith. So we look at our faith and we begin to locate. If we don't locate our faith, if we think we have great faith and we have little faith, if we think that we're strong in faith and we have no faith, we're going to struggle, we're going to be confused. It's a good question to ask ourselves, where is my faith today? Not where was it when things were rolling, man. I was rolling, I was believing God, God was answering. Where is it today? Because of those circumstances where it was going and today it doesn't. I feel weak in faith with all that's going on. But we can strengthen ourselves by confessing and believing, calling those things that be not as though they were, allowing our confession out of our mouth to become incredibly strong. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 says, This is the word of faith which we preach. The word is near you. Uh, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. If you confess with your heart the Lord Jesus, believe in your confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. You can say, I'm in faith, but the way to find out where our faith is at is what comes out of our mouth. As Alan was saying, what are you saying today? What are you saying about your finances today? What are you saying about your body today? What are you saying concerning people around you today? Is it easy to criticize people? Is it easy to put them down? Or is it easier to believe that God is doing something in them? Mark eleven twenty three 23 says, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Whatever he says. Mark Hankins says this, confession is the highway by which faith brings its mighty cargo. So have faith, but without calling things out, without declaring it with our mouth every day, watching what we say. I think we've begun to let that go. When faith teaching was prominent in a few decades ago, we really watched what we said. It got to be an extreme, as always it seems like with people. It got to be an extreme. We started checking up on each other. That got frustrating. Knowing that we have what we say. Somebody say something negative. We'd say, you name it and claim it. You'll have what you say. We called everybody out on it, but the enemy was in that strategy to get us to quit saying what we believe. Having a little bit of confession police is not a bad thing. To say, watch what you say, because life and death are in the power of the tongue, just as Alan said, and you'll eat the fruit of it. We start eating the fruit of what we've said. We don't like it unless mountains are moving, unless fruit is coming up, unless there's abundance because we've spoken God's word. Philemon says this, that the communication of your faith would become effective by acknowledging every good thing that's in you in Christ. Every good thing that's in you in Christ. How does that help the communication of your faith? It helps the communication of your faith because people around you, when they know you believe what you say you believe, it gets contagious. 
When you say you believe in God, you believe in salvation, but all week long you're just talking the politics, you're talking the doom and gloom, you're talking everything else. They're not catching on that you believe about redemption, you believe about salvation, you believe about supernatural power, you believe that God's doing something bigger and better than what is going on in the natural. Acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ. Wake up in the morning. Begin to write some things down. Put it on your mirror. Go back to the old school. Put it on the mirror. Put it somewhere where you look at it every day. And you begin a faith confession that you begin to plant in your heart. You begin to say it. You begin to say it not just in the morning, but you say it at noontime. You say it in the evening. You begin to let it roll up and build in your heart. Because faith is in your heart and in your mouth. It's a creative force. As we look at where our faith is today. Not where it will be someday, but where are we today? And we locate our faith. We begin to act upon it. We begin to grow it if we need to. Without condemnation, without fear. So many people try to be in faith when they're in fear. Listen, church, I just want you to locate your faith because of this. I've seen this too much. Well, I'm going to be believing God because I don't want, I'm afraid people will think I don't have faith. If I go to the doctor, if I get this check, I'm afraid people will think I don't have faith, so I don't go. Listen, you're not in faith. You're in fear. And you're trying to make it sound like faith, but you're afraid of what people will think if you do something. Locate your faith. If you're not quite there yet, get some help and keep moving on. But don't be afraid of what other people will think or what other people will say about your faith. You locate your faith. You get in the Word of God. You grow your faith. And church, exhort people in their faith. Don't tell them they don't have any. Let them locate their faith. Let's help each other grow in the Word of God. And if somebody truly comes to encourage you in your faith, let them. Don't put up your defenses. Let them. If somebody wants to just come and rattle off scripture that they know that pertains to yours, even if they're scriptures that you have been studying, just go ahead and let them speak the word of God at you. Say, this could get a little troublesome. No, because we're looking at our love walk right now. And we're not going and quoting scripture to people to show how spiritually we are. We would only do it out of love. Now abide faith, hope, and love. How are you doing today in your faith walk? Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you, we praise you, we magnify, and we glorify you. For you're worthy of all praise and glory and honor. If you're with us in this room, if you're watching online, the, the greatest declaration of faith that man would know is to declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Because you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead for your justification. If you're watching with us or in this room this morning and you've not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, let's all just pray this together. Say, Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name. And today, I make a decision to lay my life down. And to pick your life up. I ask you to come into my heart. Not just be my Savior, but be my Lord. 
Because I believe that God raised you from the dead so that I could be forgiven of my sin and become a child of God. This morning, I declare you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. We'll see you at 6 o'clock tonight.